Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. Each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the As A Woman podcast. This podcast exists so that you can learn about your fertility and your body. And today we are talking about sperm. What is a semen analysis? What controls sperm development? And how to improve sperm quality and counts and lifestyle factors. Before we dive in, I just want to say a huge thank you for everyone for being here and for all of your support of this podcast. Every week you guys are sharing and commenting and sending me comments and it means the world. The podcast exists on all major podcast channels. It is also soon to be on YouTube if that is your preferred way to watch. And you can also find all back episodes on the website, Natalie Crawford MD. On the website, there's a resources section. So if you haven't visited, you can go check it out. There is a search bar. You can type in PCOS and you can find all content that I've made on PCOS, whether it's a blog post, YouTube video, or any podcast that relates. That's a wonderful way if you are trying to deep dive a certain topic in my content. Also, if you are trying to get pregnant, feel free to learn more about the Enhance Your Natural Fertility course or the IVF add-on if you're going through IVF. This is just information packaged in a very specific way so that you can learn more about your body. That's also on the website. And every week we do a Q&A segment called For Fertility's Sake. You will find that at the end of every episode. You can leave your questions on Instagram on Monday. Natalie Crawford, MD. Those questions will be answered on Instagram, in the podcast, and in the weekly newsletter. The newsletter has fertility in the news, podcast questions, my favorite recipes, updates, all kinds of fun things. Sign up for the newsletter, nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. And without any further ado, let's jump in and talk all about sperm. I'm going to go through the development of sperm, what a semen analysis is, and important facts about sperm and lifestyle. So if we start out, I want you to remember that the areas in the body that control the development of eggs and estrogen is very similar to what controls sperm and testosterone. So this is what we call the HPO or the HPT axis, hypothalamic pituitary ovary, hypothalamic pituitary testes. I want you to remember that the HPT axis is very similar to the HPO axis. So we have the hypothalamus, which makes GnRH, gonadotropin-releasing hormone, which controls the stimulation of FSH and LH from the pituitary gland. And both of these are important in the making of testosterone and sperm from the testes. And testosterone feeds back to the brain to help control the signal of GnRH. So this is a nice hormone cycle. 
Sperm is very different than eggs. So as compared to the analogy with eggs that you're born with all the eggs you're going to have in a vault inside your ovary and you just run out of them over time, sperm are brand new developers. 100 to 200 million sperm are made every day. I always say it's like there's magic fairy cells on one side of the testes that can just make sperm. It's miraculous. Sperm takes about 70 days to complete in development, and then it takes around 21 days to move through the reproductive tract. So when you see the testes here, you can see a cross section, you can see the seminiferous tubules, but essentially the sperm is developing across this, and then it's going to enter into the epididymis and then to the vas deferens. So 70 days to develop, 21 days to go through the track. So a semen analysis, one current sample, represents sperm that's been exposed to things three months ago. But sperm does not carry the insult of our life quite like eggs do. When we look at the male hormones, FSH causes LH receptors to appear, and then LH stimulates testosterone production, very similarly to how it does in the female reproductive tract. Making testosterone in the testes is really important for sperm development. And when you take testosterone, what is going to happen is it tells the brain, hey, we're cool, and the brain will stop sending out FSH and LH, and there will be no sperm development. So taking testosterone is essentially male birth control. So there's no reason for anybody to be on that. There are better medications. There's Clomid or HCG or other options if somebody has a low testosterone. But taking testosterone is the equivalent of male birth control. Common question is, what about paternal age? Does that have anything to do with male fertility? Testosterone production and sperm production both decrease with age. So you have decreased quality of sperm and decreased amount. The risk of infertility does increase as men get older. So when you look between women who are age 35 to 39, when the male partner was 40 and older, there was a two to three times increase in infertility as compared to the male partner being younger. And I always think this is an interesting stat from a study that conception is five times as long for men over the age of 45 than for men who are under the age of 25. And that's even when you adjust or control for female partner age. And so part of these reasons is just anatomy. The testes can atrophy and your anatomy is not the same as you age and your HPT axis changes. So the most profound changes that we see is when the male partner is over 50. And some of this is genetics. So just like we talk about the genetic stability of the egg, we really have to worry about the genetics of the sperm as well. Because if we think about what a sperm is, there's a head and that's where all the DNA lives. A sperm's job is to safely transport DNA through the female reproductive tract, attach to an egg, and fertilize the egg. However, increasing age is associated with increased genetic abnormalities and fragmentation of that DNA inside the sperm head. We have seen an increase in new autosomal dominant mutations in men who are older. And these are examples like dwarfism or Marfan's disease. Overall, these mutations are rare because new autosomal dominant diseases are rare. It's like less than 1% of the time. However, this does happen more commonly if men are 50 and older. And this is likely due to some decrease in antioxidant enzymes as people get older, making that sperm more susceptible to de novo or to new mutation. And some studies have also reported an increase in miscarriage with paternal age. When we think about testosterone, so it is super trendy and I have patients and I feel so bad for them all the time who have some symptoms of low testosterone. They go to a provider who says, hey, you have some of these symptoms and I'm going to put you back on T. And the man feels better. They feel better on testosterone. No denying it. 
they are causing themselves to have neosperm develop. And the longer you take testosterone, the longer it's going to take to recover, if even. So we call this low testosterone hypogonadism. So when your testes are not making enough testosterone, remember your testes are part of your gonads. So a normal testosterone level is higher than 400. Between 2 to 400 is kind of moderately low. And less than 200 is definitely severe. So most people do want to treat if your testosterone is less than 400 and you have some symptoms, but again, not with testosterone. Some of the symptoms of low T include fatigue, weight gain, lack of libido, and decrease in erection and ejaculation. So the big take home there, no T. When we look at a semen analysis, I talk about semen analysis every day. So the process, you're going to have abstain for two to three days. So no ejaculation, no intercourse, nothing. So we want to get a good enough sperm collection process. You need to really focus on getting a complete sample. So don't be rushed. Take your time. If we don't get all of the sample in the cup, if there's spillage or something else, please tell whoever you're giving your sperm to. So if you're passing the sperm off, you need to say, hey, I had some spillage because that might throw off the results. And that really matters to me when I'm interpreting these results. So we want to get accurate results and you should ask about how do you get them? Is it a portal, an email, a phone call? How do you find out if it's normal or not? When we look at semen analyses, there's a few different parameters that we care about. So we care about one, the volume. What's the volume of the sample? That's throwing things off if the volume is low. Two, the concentration. How many million sperm are there in each milliliter? Number three, the motility. What percentage of these sperm are moving? And number four, and potentially most importantly, the morphology or the shape of the sperm. This one is really important. So there's two different scales. And there's fertility clinics here in town who still use this very antiquated scale from 2010 called the WHO or the World Health Organization. In that scale, 15% or more is what's considered normal. Standard of care is to use a strict morphology or what we call a Kruger, and that would be 4% or greater normal. So you really got to compare to the reference range. So you need to look at, okay, what was the value and what was the reference range? So what is that normal category supposed to be for that lab and how they do that test? You have a nice kind of oval head, you have a tail, there's often some other little round cells that may be around, but that's what you see. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Ritual is essential for women 18 and plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. I love Ritual and I love taking their essential for women 18 plus every single day. One reason I love it is that it's gentle on an empty stomach and it has a minty essence. So every bottle feels refreshing, and is actually enjoyable. It's also clinically backed multivitamin with high quality and traceable key ingredients, and they have industry-leading sustainability standards. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Over is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. My closet has a tendency to get chaotic and crammed with a bunch of clothes that I don't really want to wear. What's been a game changer for me has been upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have a wardrobe full of luxury and classic essentials and I stayed on budget. 
The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, and they do this by partnering directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to us. In addition, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing and premium products and finishes. I personally am loving the linen pieces as it's Texas and summer is upon us. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. When we look at these different values and what they mean. So the first is looking at the volume and the pH. So your volume should usually be at least 1.5 milliliter and the pH is pretty alkaline and that protects the sperm from the acidity of the vagina. The volume comes from the seminal vesicles and low volume may be a sign that there is low production, there's an obstruction, or even something called retrograde ejaculation. This is actually where some of the sperm goes into the bladder and if you check a urine sample, you would see sperm floating in it. Isn't that wild? When you have blocked ejaculatory ducts, this actually happens in cystic fibrosis carriers. It can happen in other people too, But sometimes when men carry cystic fibrosis, they're perfectly asymptomatic. However, when they have infertility and they go and get a semen analysis done, you may find a low volume and a low pH. And that's from the ejaculatory ducts being blocked. But in the case of cystic fibrosis, this is because they're absent. So we call this CBAVD, congenital bilateral absence of the vas deferens. And so That's a dorky REI test question. But when I see a semen analysis, I sometimes will say, I'm concerned you have cystic fibrosis, you carry this, and I need to test you. And I've had patients that we test the male partner, and he's a carrier, and then we test the female partner, and she is as well. And now we're on a whole different ballgame because we're also doing genetic testing for that disease. So low volume by itself does throw off your results. So what I'll often do is have somebody abstain for a longer period of time. So that's kind of step one. Hey, you had some spillage, your volume was low. Maybe that threw things off. Let's abstain for a little bit longer and see if that helps us. The second parameter is the concentration. Concentration is measured in millions per milliliter. And so azoospermia is absolutely zero sperm. So when you do not see any, that's azoospermia. So it could be obstruction, it could be lack of production, but that is what no sperm is. So when you hear that word, Oligospermia means low counts. Depending on how low they are, that might warrant an endocrine evaluation or a visit to the urologist. Importantly, I want you to know this. Normal is 15 million per milliliter or more, 15. But the probability of conception increases with increasing concentration between 15 up to 40 to 50 million. After that, it's not much different. However, there's a big difference. So these are the low end of the normal range. So if somebody's rocking out at 16 million per milliliter, that's normal, putting that in air quotes, but that is on the low end of normal. And their chance of conception is going to be lower than somebody who has 50 million per ml. Motility is the number of forward moving sperm. So not just sperm who are twitching around and doing a jive, but ones that are actually making forward progressive movement. The probability of conception increases with rising motility up to about 60%. So this is another one. 40% is the low end of normal. 60% is the best for conception. So there's a gray zone in there where you might be barely normal. And we have to put all of these values together. Motility abnormalities can often be due to lifestyle, to infection, environment, and the daily choices that we make. And we put these values together for a functional count, which is called the total modal sperm. 
This is volume times concentration times motility. A normal number is at least 40 million moving sperm in the sample. Less than that is abnormal. Acceptable for IUI is 20 million moving sperm in the sample. So if you go do those and you get a sample and you only have 5 million moving sperm, that's really not acceptable. You lose about half the sperm in the wash process for IUI. And so these super low counts have a very low chance of that type of low-tech treatment like IUI working. When we look at the quality of the sperm, this is the morphology, and this is a really important value. So when we look at this one, strict sperm morphology is the best one. That's the Kruger, where it's influencing the ability or think, looking at the ability of a sperm to fertilize an egg. This is likely influenced by environment and lifestyle. When we have low morphology, that is an indication for ICSI. And when we looked at conventional fertilization rates in the lab, this gave us something to study. We have set eggs, we put sperm on them, but not in them. When the percentage of normal sperm was 14% or higher, there was highest fertilization rates. And it was very poor when there less than 4% of the sperm had normal morphology. So I think that's really important. If we looked at how much fertilized the morphology really does play a role here and this is why if you have any abnormally shaped sperm you should consider ICSI and we're going to go over what those different treatments are in the next section this is the morphology of the sperm and so when we look at the morphology of the sperm we can see there's a normally shaped sperm which has a normal head and a nice little tail and then you have all these weird sperm you have a giant head a micro head two heads two tails a weird long oblong head rough head. I don't know that that's what I would call it, but it's a rough head and then an abnormal middle part. So there's a lot of variation in sperm. So it's crazy that so few sperm have to actually be normal. And another thing you can find in a semen analysis is round cells. Round cells can be immature sperm, epithelial cells, red blood cells, or white blood cells. You can't always tell what they are. It depends on the type of semen analysis. So the general treatment is an anti-inflammatory and antibiotics for two weeks and then to retest and see if those round cells have gone away. I always like to think about round cells as making it hard to conceive. If you imagine a highway and you have a lot of stalled cars, it's going to be really hard to get down the highway. So even though there might be some other sperm that are perfectly fine, these round cells can be obstruction for them getting to where they need to go to get the job done. DNA fragmentation is an interesting concept and it is a test that can be done. This is debatable. So let's think about this test. The idea here is that when sperm has more fragmented DNA, the DNA is less integrity, it has less strength, and it's going to be more abnormal. Causes can be from external factors like heat, smoking, environmental chemicals, chemotherapy, and then intrinsic factors. So things like oxidative stress, that's inflammation, or problems having your sperm mature. What we do know is DNA fragmentation has been associated with decreased IVF success and miscarriage. And original studies told us this was an indication for ICSI or taking one sperm and putting it inside an egg. So that's what original studies told us. However, newer studies are suggesting that highly fragmented DNA might be an indication for testicular sperm extraction because testicular sperm appears to have lower level of fragmentation than ejaculated. Kind of makes sense. Maybe it gets damaged on the way out. It develops fine, but then in those 21 days that it's coming down the ejaculatory tract, maybe it gets damaged then. So this is something to think about. It is not standard of care. It's highly debatable. But if we have poor IVF outcomes, specifically when the male genome kicks in, kind of between day three to day five, so poor blastocyst rates, 
we sometimes will check this or talk about, is it worth, should we consider a sperm extraction procedure? All right, you're going to be shocked when I tell you there's not tons of options for treatment of male factor. So number one is some medications. Sometimes we can give you Clomid or HCG or a combination of FSH and LH to try to augment sperm development. And it just depends on the cause. So maybe you're using testosterone and we can stop it. Maybe there was some thyroid or prolactin disease. I did have a case in residency where somebody had terrible sperm parameters and it actually turns out they had a huge brain tumor that was making prolactin, throwing everything off. So depending on what you find, an endocrine evaluation might be warranted. If we think that medication potentially could improve your sperm parameters, it's going to take three to six months to see results. And again, we need to have a good idea that production is the issue and not obstruction. One treatment option that people are more familiar with might be an IUI. IUI stands for intrauterine insemination. Importantly, IUI will never exceed whatever the maternal age is for natural conception for that time period. So if you are 30 and your chance of conception is 20%, you're never going to get higher than that with an IUI. You might even get lower than that based on whatever indication is getting you into that IUI. You do lose 50% of the sample with the wash process. So that's why those starting numbers, that starting total modal sperm count is really important. Your best results are achieved when the number of total moving sperm is going to exceed 10 million. So because you lose half of them, that means on a routine analysis, we want there to be at least 20 million moving sperm. And again, the morphology is really important. Success rates with an IUI are really bad when your morphology is low. So I don't think this is a really good option for what we call teratospermia, isolated morphological defect. I think IUI is pretty good if there's like a mild concentration abnormality or a motility issue that makes a lot of sense. If I take the sperm and I put it in a catheter and I put it in your uterus, I like to think of this as taking your best players and putting them further down the field. Well, then I can get an improvement in pregnancy rates potentially. But if the shape is off, if all those players have a broken leg, still can't win the game, still can't make the shot. So IUI is really best for donor sperm. That's the best, or what we call absolute male factor, meaning there's some reason why sperm and egg can't meet. Maybe you can't have intercourse, it's painful, you have a problem with ejaculation. So sometimes taking even a partnered sperm sample, but putting in a catheter and putting it in the uterus is helping. Mild male factor, specifically motility issues or mild concentration abnormalities. And then it can be used for unexplained, but it's really not a great treatment for that. IVF is always going to be your treatment of choice for male factor. IVF allows us to help sperm become fertilized into eggs. It is just what we can do. ICSI stands for intracytoplasmic sperm injection. And that is literally picking up a sperm with a pipette that looks good under the microscope. And you're going to crack open the side of an egg with a laser and you're going to inject that sperm inside. The quality still matters. That DNA integrity inside the head of the sperm still is hugely important. So I can put a sperm in an egg, but if its DNA is damaged, it's not likely to result in a normal embryo. And this is why a sperm extraction, which there's different types, so that's why I'm using that word really vaguely. You can get sperm from the testes, and that can be a, a tessy, a testicular sperm extraction procedure. You can have PESA, which is a percutaneous epididymal sperm extraction, a MESA. So there's different words, but they all premise is get sperm more from the source. And this can be helpful if there's an obstruction, it might be your only option. If there's severely low counts, or if you have poor prior cycles or concern for DNA fragmentation. IVF, again, is still going to be associated with maternal age, but it is the only treatment we have in the fertility world that exceeds your natural chance of getting pregnant. And so IVF is going to be best for male factors, unexplained, any tubal disease, any genetic issues, pregnancy loss, or older maternal age. 
And now a word from one of our sponsors, Rocket Money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? Embarrassingly, I am one of those as well. And Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that otherwise could have been a time-consuming process. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it can be never-ending. So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. They monitor your spending and help you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. That's rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. Rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Caraway. Spring is coming and I always love a good home reset. Non-toxic cookware is the perfect way for you to kick off your own spring cleaning. With so many collections to explore, there is a caraway for every cook. Their internet-famous kitchenware is a staple for any home. It comes with beautiful shades to fit your aesthetic, but most importantly, you're ditching the chemicals. Caraway's non-toxic kitchenware comes a chemical-free ceramic coating so your food can be prepared without any of those hard-to-pronounce chemicals leaching in to your healthy ingredients. Everybody knows that I am a big believer that our environment impacts our body, and that's why I trust Caraway with my cooking. Visit carawayhome.com A-A-W to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners, so visit carawayhome.com A-A-W or use the code A-A-W at checkout. Caraway non-toxic cookware made modern. Let's dive in though to what we may be able to modify when it comes to lifestyle and sperm. So again, it's going to take about three to six months to see a change in your sperm because the life cycle of a sperm is about three months. So if you start eating broccoli tomorrow, your sperm's not going to be amazingly better in two weeks. So it's going to take time and commitment. Overall, this diet is very similar to what we talked about when it came to eggs. And the reason why is sperm and eggs are very similar things. They are in our gonads, they carry DNA as their primary job, and they are very similar in structure. So it's not surprising that what's good for one and keeping its DNA integrity is good for the other. So when it comes to protein, processed meats and red meats are harmful. Fish, nuts, seeds, and vegetable sources are good, including soy. I know there's a lot of drama out there about soy and if it's bad because it's a phytoestrogen. Soy is an antioxidant and not associated with poor sperm parameters and in fact may be helpful. Eggs are fine. When it comes to carbohydrates, they are not your enemy. Fiber is very important. Whole grains are always going to be the choice over those refined processed foods. And fruits and vegetables should be the bulk of your diet. Variety is really key, but you need to wash them well to remove any of those pesticides. We like fats. I know we grew up in the anti-fat era, but we like fats. We like those healthy fats, olive oils, avocados, nuts. We want to encourage, and then we want to limit the trans fat. Those are the artificial or fake fats. Fried foods, fast foods, those type of fake things, we don't want any of that. Sugar, you need to avoid added sugar. Sugar is the enemy to your cells. Sugar causes inflammation. It is just not your friend. 
doesn't mean you can't have cake on your birthday, but you should certainly not be having dessert every night or putting sugar in your coffee every day or drinking a soda. Fruits are not added sugar. Fruits were okay. And then dairy is likely fine. There's limited data on that. Here's a list of some supplements that may be helpful for sperm and what we've seen them do in different studies. So CoQ10 looks really helpful. I like to put some of my male partners on this if they have abnormal parameters, specifically in abnormal morphology, 200 milligrams twice a day. This has been shown to help with motility and concentration, also improved antioxidant status, so we think it could help with morphology. Vitamin D, 1,000 international units a day, has been shown to help with your concentration or your count. Omega-3 fatty acids, 1,000 milligrams a day, has been shown to improve all parameters across your sperm, so count, motility, and morphology. Alpha lipoic acid, 600 milligrams a day, was shown to improve concentration and motility. Selenium plus snack, this was a combined study, so 200 micrograms a day of selenium plus 600 milligrams of N-acetylcysteine improves sperm concentration, motility, and morphology, so all parameters. Vitamin E, 300 milligrams a day improved motility. Vitamin C, 1,000 milligrams twice a day improved concentration, motility, and morphology. And folic acid plus zinc improved concentration in a really nice study, but not live birth rate. And then a few others, L-arginine, 500 milligrams twice a day can stabilize the sperm and improve the DNA in the concentration. And L-carnitine, 3 grams a day improves motility. That's a lot. That's really overwhelming. And these variables are slightly different. Some are motility. Some are concentration and motility. My recommendation is a men's multivitamin is going to cover a lot of this. You're going to get folic acid, zinc, selenium, C, E, D, all in a men's multi. So that's an easy one. Add on a CoQ10. So do a men's multivitamin. Add on a CoQ10. See if your multivitamin has omega-3 fatty acids in it. If it doesn't, add those in. Those are your fish oil supplements. A lot of multivitamins have them now. And then consider adding on L-arginine and L-carnitine because those are often not in vitamins but have been shown to be advantageous depending on what the issue is. And then right away, you're doing better than taking nothing. When it comes to toxins, there are a few things that have been studied. Alcohol decreases your testosterone and impairs the development of sperm. I know people love to drink. I know people will say... Tons of babies have been conceived under the influence of alcohol. I mean, that's not false, but if we're looking at somebody who's having infertility and a difficult time conceiving, alcohol is inflammatory and it interferes with your HPT axis. So we should at least decrease this. Doesn't mean you have to have none altogether. I usually say, can you limit it to the weekend? Can you have less than four drinks a week? Maybe don't do the split a bottle of wine every night that got really popular in COVID. Tobacco. Absolutely terrible. Reduces your sperm count, your morphology, and your motility. That one needs to stop. Marijuana is also really bad. Decreased motility, viability, and decreased testosterone. So I would prefer you to have, you know, a beer on the weekend than to smoke cigarettes or marijuana. Caffeine has been controversial. There's no evidence to support right now that you have to limit caffeine. Opiates definitely decrease testosterone and sperm motility and concentration. So if you're on long-term opiates, you need to make sure somebody knows about that or you get a semen analysis early. Steroids, as we talked about, it makes it hard for sperm to develop. So get off of any anabolic steroids. Obesity alone can reduce sperm count and it does decrease your testosterone. So if you are overweight, some of those healthy eating and weight loss strategies can be helpful for you. And heat increases DNA damage. And so this is why when we think about heat, you'll hear don't sit in a hot tub or a sauna. Don't sit with your laptop in your lap. Always put your laptop on a table or something next to your desk. 
and don't ride anything like a motorcycle or, I mean, sometimes if you're like, I've had fighter pilot patients and their sperm counts are really not great because it just gets hotter or truckers because it gets hotter. So those are something where maybe you can't control that because it's your job, but you could get a semen analysis much earlier than waiting the year of the fertility evaluation because you're exposed to heat. Boxers or briefs has not been shown to make a difference. And just living in this inferno of Texas where it's a thousand degrees outside, also not shown to make a difference. Pesticides have decreased your concentration and motility and can increase damage in the DNA. You can't always control those. I mean, you can control what you put in your yard, but not what's on your food. So recommend really thoroughly washing your fruits and vegetables. Phthalates result in decreased concentration, motility, and increase in DNA damage also. These are your plastics. So just for all the reasons we talked about taking these toxins out of your kitchen and your home goods in the environment section, those are all good reasons for sperm as well. Same with BPA and your heavy metals. So we really want to make sure that we're limiting exposure to all of these toxins so that you can have the best quality sperm possible. I've got to say that too often I see a couple come to me totally believing that they don't even need to check sperm. There's no need. That's not the problem. I don't even want to do a semen analysis. I don't even want to talk about it. I will see female partners making huge lifestyle changes and totally ignoring whatever a male partner might be doing. And overall, this thing, conceiving, takes two. And so really, your gametes, if you have a partner, they both matter and what you do, it matters. So make this a team sport and work together. And personally, I know I'm very specific about this, but I'm not going to treat you, even if you have irregular cycles, if your partner has not had a semen analysis done, because I am not willing to do treatment in vain. If he has no sperm because he's chronically smoking marijuana or using testosterone or has an obstruction and we have no idea, it is not fair, right, or ethical for us to go through numerous cycles and you to spend your money and your time. I'm not saying that is everybody's approach, but when it comes to me and you're in the fertility clinic, I feel like we are in a different level. And at this point, I want to know everything. So please stop this mentality that it must be me, he's fine, or stuff that, well, he has a kid who's five, sperm changes every three months. Things could very well be different. And let's get a full assessment and have both people bring the very best gametes they can to the table. All right, well, now it's time for our weekly Q&A for fertility's sake. Again, every week you can ask questions on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. We will answer some on Instagram, here on the As a Woman podcast, and in our weekly newsletter, which you can sign up, Natalie Crawford MD slash newsletter. Also, about once every six weeks or so, we do one of my favorite episodes, which is a fertility QA answering your voicemails. Call and leave a voicemail, 657 229 3672. The more voicemails you'll leave, the more we'll do these episodes. My secret goal is that I cover all the fertility topics that exist and we do Q&A episodes into eternity. But call and leave a voicemail. It can be anonymous if you want. 657-229-3672. All right. My first question is, should I test before my beta, the good, the bad, the ugly? So Beta stands for beta HCG. This is your pregnancy test. If you go through fertility treatments, your clinic is going to draw an HCG level. We call this the beta. Now, the biggest question is if you're doing fertility treatments, should you take a urine home pregnancy test before? 
Is that good? Is that bad? What are my thoughts? The truth is, number one, I don't like people taking them early. That's because sometimes there's things that influence your beta that you may not know, meaning if it even could be positive yet. Sometimes it's not even far enough along to be positive. Did you take a trigger shot and maybe that was HCG and that's still in your system and HCG is the same HCG that you test on a pregnancy test, you could get a false positive. So I like people to wait. We set these for a very specific reason. I promise we're dying to know if you are pregnant or not. Also, nobody is trying to drag out your knowledge of a pregnancy. However, should you take one that day? I mean, this I think is very personal and a lot of it might have to do with how your clinic notifies you and your comfort level. Remember that a urine pregnancy test has a set beta threshold depending on the brand, let's say most of them are somewhere between 10 to 25. So most good, viable, normal pregnancies are going to have a starting HCG of higher than that. However, pregnancies can exist with HCG of lower than that. My lowest HCG that resulted in a living baby after IVF was an HCG of seven. So you would have gotten a negative urine pregnancy test. And if you had stopped your medications, that pregnancy wouldn't have been able to continue. So if you're going to home test, do not stop your medications. If you're going to home test, know that that's not a full all or nothing. Probably one of the things that some of my patients told me that I resonated with just personally was that they would take a urine pregnancy test the same day as their beta so that they could share that moment with their partner. But of course, they had perspective. They didn't stop their meds. They were going to wait to see what their clinic said about what the level is and if that was good. But they liked having that moment with their partner. Again, I think a lot of it depends on how your clinic notifies you and think about how you want to find out. But bottom line, never, never, never stop your medications without being instructed to do so from your clinic. All right, the next question is thoughts on InvoCell. So InvoCell, again, is a small device where you take a set number of eggs, typically eight to 10, and you still have to go through IVF, remove the eggs with an egg retrieval, but then you put the eggs in the sperm in this device and you put it in the vagina held in place by a diaphragm and you incubate the embryos in the vagina. So that's awesome. And then you pull it out and you can transfer the best one. And if there's any extra, you can freeze them. I think EnvoCell is an absolutely lovely option for select people, notably young tubal factor, young PCOS, both of those scenarios where there's absolutely normal sperm. Potentially, I like it for people who are using donor sperm. Actually, I do. So depending on your family goals, I think it can be a great option for a single mom by choice or for a lesbian couple, depending on family goals and age. I don't love InvoCell if you're older because you don't do genetic testing. I do not love InvoCell if there is any male factor at all, hard pass. I do not love InvoCell if there is a genetic reason why we want to have genetic results, recurrent pregnancy loss or prior genetic disease or age. I don't love InvoCell if you want to have more than one child because in most cases we are purposefully understimulating you to use lower medications and get fewer eggs because the device only holds so many. I don't want to understimulate you if you want more than one child. And I absolutely do not love InvoCell if you have unexplained infertility. Hard pass. Why am I doing something that is not fertilizing eggs, growing them in the best possible environment, 
if I don't know what's going on. So I think Infosil has its place in the young patient with a clearly defined reason for infertility who wants one child. I'll be honest, that's not most of my patients. Can I have a baby who is healthy after moderate placental abruption or premature birth with my first? For the most part, yes, one thing should not relate to the other. A placental abruption is where the placenta starts to detach from the wall of the uterus. This causes a pocket of bleeding. It can cause a severe emergency. The baby may not be getting enough blood and it can cause your uterus to start contracting. It definitely can result in neonatal death. If it happens prematurely, it can cause premature birth. Certain things are associated with a higher risk of an abruption. High blood pressure, trauma, cocaine use, uterine trauma. So if you have high blood pressure, managing your high blood pressure before you get pregnant, whether that is losing weight, being on stable meds, exercising, whatever, is something that could help you decrease that risk in the future. But most of these are random. You did nothing to cause it. It just happened. And it's unlikely to happen again. That being said, I always want to check that nothing is wrong inside the uterus, that there's not a structural abnormality because sometimes placental issues are higher in those cases, and that there's no scar tissue residual from a traumatic birth, no matter how it happened. So I would recommend talking to your doctor and considering getting imaging of your uterus and your fallopian tubes before conceiving just to make sure everything looks normal. What can cause multiple early miscarriages before the first five to six weeks? So these are typically called biochemical pregnancies or chemical pregnancies. This is when you're having a miscarriage before you see a baby on ultrasound. And you usually can't see a baby on ultrasound until about five and a half to six weeks. And even then, a lot of people can't get into the doctor at that time frame. A chemical pregnancy is still a loss. If you got a positive pregnancy test, you are pregnant. The number one cause of why people lose these is genetics, by far and away. Random genetic abnormalities increase with age. The eggs have been sitting in your body since before you were born, chromosomes held perfectly apart, ready to ovulate, and the proteins that hold those chromosomes in place, they break down with time, therefore causing you to have an increase in genetic abnormalities. Your body can only carry so many babies, so it doesn't want to carry genetically abnormal babies if it gets the choice. Those genetically abnormal embryos do not send the right signals back, causing your body to prohibit it to keep growing at an early stage, largely by not making enough progesterone. Remember, HCG is the stimulus to progesterone once you're pregnant. So number one, genetic abnormalities. Number two is going to be in the same vein. It's just going to be embryo competency. We see this some um, in IVF pregnancies that miscarriers still have chemical pregnancies, is that you need to be genetically normal, but that's not all. The embryo still has to have the ability to have cells divide and to grow at the right pace and have appropriate metabolic features. And there's a lot to embryo competency that we don't fully understand yet. That's a huge area of research and development. What you are hearing me say is that the top causes of chemical pregnancy are embryo related. Not you, not uterine structure, not clotting disorder, not something that you are doing. Now, if you have history of a clotting disorder, if you have uncontrolled diabetes, if you have unmanaged thyroid disease, if you are exposed to cigarette smoke or marijuana, these are things that can increase your miscarriage risk. But number one, the top cause of these early chemical losses is embryo factors. 
Does metformin help with PCOS symptoms such as hair thinning? Great question. Metformin is a medication that helps your body be more sensitive to insulin. Therefore, it can lower your sugar that is circulating in your blood better, helps combat insulin resistance, and we use it a lot in people who are not diabetic. This has been shown to have a variety of beneficial properties, potentially even outside the realm of PCOS or diabetes, such as anti-aging, brain health, because what we know is high levels of circulating sugar are just not good for how our bodies and our cells work. When it comes to the ovary, one of the main problems in PCOS is an increase in testosterone production. Although we think about tea and we think about hair growth and like stomach hair, reality is high testosterone can cause two interesting things with hair. It can cause thinning of the hair on your head. Think about male pattern baldness. Yet it can also cause development of facial hair. So metformin helps decrease testosterone production in the ovaries. That's an extra added benefit. It's why we see an increase in ovulation in people who are on metformin alone. Of course, fulmid and letrozole do better. Those are actual ovulation induction agents. But that is why just metformin could sometimes help people start to spontaneously ovulate. You're going to become more sensitive to insulin. Your circulating insulin levels are going to decrease. You're going to respond better. You might lose weight and you're going to have less testosterone made. So it can help with hair thinning. My luteal phase is 10 days, but my progesterone level is normal. Is this okay? Remember one, progesterone levels do not mean anything except you ovulate. Okay equals three or above equals you ovulate. Progesterone does not equal a luteal phase defect because in the luteal phase, progesterone is made in pulses from the corpus luteum. It can range anywhere from three to 40. We should not be checking progesterone levels in the luteal phase to confirm a good or a bad luteal phase. All it is confirming is did you ovulate? A short luteal phase is clinical. It's a clinical thing. Is your luteal phase 11 days or less? Are you having luteal spotting? If you truly have a luteal phase of 10 days or less and you're tracking ovulation very well, that's not normal. That is a sign that you're having a dysfunction. We're not going to say that you're not ovulating, but it is more dysfunctional. And there might be a reason. Maybe you have high prolactin. Maybe your thyroid is off. Maybe you're running out of eggs. Maybe you're slightly on the hypothalamic dysfunction end. But that's not ideal ovulation. That might impact implantation. We don't know. But the short answer is I would get that evaluated. That's not normal. I would do a full fertility evaluation. I would check hormones like prolactin, thyroid, AMH. If all things come back normal, I would consider ovulation induction to try to improve that. And I do go over this in detail in the low progesterone episode, which was recent. So you can go back and listen to that one specifically. All right, friends. Again, I love your questions. Keep them coming on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. You can also call and leave a voicemail. 657-229-3672. And don't forget to check out the website, nataliecrawfordmd.com. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and check out the YouTube channel Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman. <laughs>